now listening to Grace City Portland. Wrestling God is what we're calling it. Chapter 32, and we'll start in verse 22. The same night he arose, that is Jacob arose, and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, this mysterious man, when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Uh, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he, struck, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So sorry, I forgot my glasses again this morning. <laughs> I'm like... Getting old. No, I'm not that old. Just teasing. I'm just teasing. Thank you. What a bizarre story. Let's just start right there. Have you ever heard uh, the story explained, preached, expounded upon? What is, what is this story really about? And I've heard a few sermons. I've read a few commentaries. Honestly, it's, it's a bit of a mysterious one. It, it, it really is a bizarre story. I've, I've heard of it. I, most of the explanations I've heard are quite allegorical. So like perhaps it's a story about a guy who who just, he refuses to give up and he persists and finally God rewards him because he just wouldn't stop wrestling in prayer. And that's, I suppose, one sort of allegorical interpretation. Um, And not a bad little bit of advice, like don't give up, just hang in there, wrestle all night in prayer and and perhaps God will will bless you with a hip dislocation. I've heard it explained as a story about a man who, who learns humility through adversity. So he has this bizarre encounter with this mysterious man who he eventually realizes is actually God and, and through his wrestling and struggling and finally breaking through, he walks away but with a limp 
and thus he has been humbled through his trial. Pretty cool. Um, I've also heard it explained as a, a story that's really about a man who's wrestling himself. And in fact, this is Jacob struggling with his inner demons, and he's about to cross over into this place where he has to face his, we'll find out, his, his older brother, whom he's dreading. And so it's really a story about this man who's sort of facing his past and wrestling his inner demons so as to overcome and discover the divine essence within himself. And that's totally not what the story's about. So just let's not even go there. I think I, think I know exactly what the story's about. I'm, I'm going to do my best to, to propose what I think it is actually about. But in order to do that, we need to back way up. We need to go back to the beginning, and I want you to flip back, back about seven chapters to Genesis 25, as we need context. We need a whole lot of context if we're going to make any sense out of this divine wrestling match between a man and God. So, Genesis 25. You guys ready? What verse? Well, we're not going to read like all seven chapters. Um, Let's just say in chapter 25, we read about Isaac and Rachel, this couple who for 20 years were struggling to have a child, finally conceive, and it turns out that Rachel is pregnant with twins. This is Jacob and his brother, whom we'll find out, is named Esau. This is where the story begins, at the very beginning of this man's life. Now, if you're familiar with these characters or this story at all, you'll know some of this, but let me just catch us all up. We're given some, some very few but important details about Jacob, our guy who wrestles God, and his brother Esau. We're told at birth that Esau comes out first, they're twins, but he comes out first, therefore he's the firstborn. Uh, he's apparently very red, um, that might mean that he had red hair, and he's also very hairy. Um, he grows up to be a hunter, and he's dad's favorite. Those are the details that were given about Jacob's older brother, Esau. He's a hairy guy, he's a hunter, and he's dad's favorite. He's a manly man. He's, he's of the more masculine variety. Jacob comes out, and as you pointed out, as his name literally means, it says that Jacob came out grasping the heel of his brother, which is kind of bizarre. He's holding on to the heel of his brother. Um, it says that Jacob is a bit more quiet, He prefers to hang out in tents. He's more of an indoor kind of guy. And he's his mother's favorite. Okay, do you see the contrast? (laughs) Jacob's more timid. He likes the indoors. He's a mama's boy. I get Jacob. I get him. I'll confess. (laughs) Simply as a side note, you have to give it to these ancients for their creative uh, naming process. So Esau, apparently it sounds like the Hebrew word for 
hairy. So, you know, he comes out. He's covered in hair. His parents look at him, and they say, well, what, what should we call him? I don't know, Harry? <laughs> the second one starts to come out. His mom, I guess, notices, oh, how cute. He's holding on to his brother's heel. What should we name him? I don't know, heel grabber? Great. Harry and heel grabber, literally what their names mean. I love it. Needless to say, Jacob comes out of the womb with an ax to grind. Like literally from day one, he is, he is the kid who's trying to catch up with his older brother. Anyone have siblings in here? I've got two younger brothers. This is classic. This is quintessential sibling dynamics. And I love it. I mean, if you think about it, Jacob came out with like five seconds after his brother Esau. Only I can totally imagine, I can hear Esau saying like, hey, baby brother, and, he's, and Jacob's like, Look, I came out five seconds after you. And so from the very beginning, he's like trying to prove himself. He is Jacob, the heel grabber, which also, as you pointed out, can mean like deceiver or trickster. He's, uh, he's a bit dodgy. He, he has to use his wits if he's going to get someplace in life. Okay, so that's where we start. Now, we, if, we go, if we go forward a little bit, um, if we get to verse 29 of chapter 25, this is towards the very end of chapter 25, we're given some more information. Now, several years have gone by, and we're given this little glimpse into the childhoods of these two brothers. And it says, towards the end of chapter 25, that... Esau, the older brother, comes in from a long day of hunting and he's exhausted. He's famished, like he's starving to death. His brother, the guy who likes to hang out in tents, has been, has been cooking up some good stew. And Esau comes and he's like, Jacob, I'm dying. Like, let me have some of that stew. And apparently it's red stew. And Jacob's like, you want some stew, huh? Pretty hungry. Pretty hot out there, huh? Tell you what, I will trade you some of my red stew for your birthright. That's incredibly manipulative. But Esau's like, what good is my birthright if I'm dead? Yes, fine, whatever, give me the stew. And the Bible tells us that from that day on, Esau became known as Edom, which is sounds like the Hebrew word for red. It's in your footnotes someplace. Have any fans of The Office out there? The American version of The Office? Which, which season is it that Jim brings the tuna sandwich into the office? Is that season two? If you've never seen it, just bear with me. So, Jim from The Office, so sorry if you have no idea what I'm talking about. This is for at least half of you, all right? Jim comes into the office one day and he brings a tuna sandwich. Andrew Bernard, played by Ed Helms, sees that Jim is eating a tuna sandwich and from that point on, like, 
for like the next eight seasons, Jim is known as Big Tuna. <laughs> this is that scene from The Office. The one day Esau says, give me some of your red stew, he is now forever known as Big Red. <laughs> and you can imagine, is it, is it because he has red hair? No, it's because of the, the red stew he ate that one day when he was famished. Okay, so kind of funny. And actually really, really relevant to the story. Okay, the tension is rising. Okay, this isn't just like your everyday sibling rivalry. This is, this is two brothers who are in, in serious competition, one to get ahead of the other. Okay, these guys, they hate each other, or at least they're going to. Tensions rising. Genesis chapter 27. Let's fast forward a little bit. Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, the mother of Jacob and Esau, convinces Jacob, remember, Jacob was the mama's boy, so Rebecca, his mom, convinces him to trick his nearly dead, blind dad, Isaac, into giving the blessing of the eldest son to him, Jacob, instead of Esau. Rebecca, let me just say it again. Jacob's mom convinces her little boy, hey, your dad's super, super old. He's going to die soon. He's totally blind. Here's what I want you to do. Pretend to be Esau and deceive your own dad before he dies to get the blessing of the elder son. And he goes for it. He says, sure, I'll do it, mom. And so Rebecca gives Jacob some of the clothing of his older brother Esau. He says, put this on. You'll smell like your brother. He smells like dirt. He's out in the field hunting all the time. And he puts some, some like skins from some lamb or goat, like literally on the smooth places of Jacob's skin so that if their father happens to grab them or, or touch him any place, they'll think, oh, you're hairy. You are, in fact, my son Esau. Sure, I'll go ahead and bless you. Completely. Not like, hey, let's just see what happens. Let's, you know, if... I'll just put myself out there. Perhaps he'll kind of just decide to bless me. No, no, no. Like this, is, this is intentional deception. This is going out of your way to trick your dead, dying, blind father. Now, needless to say, uh, Esau finds out. Esau finds out, and he swears that he is going to kill his brother. He said, the time of mourning will soon pass, because our dad is, is surely about to die. And when that happens, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder you. And then we'll see who gets the birthright. So Jacob's mom, Rebecca, says, hey, my boy, you got to get out of town. You need to go back to where I'm from, this other part of Canaan called Padan Aram, which is where... Uh, Uncle Laban, Rebecca's brother, lives. He says, go back, chill out while Esau just 
kind of gets over this a little bit. And while you're there, see if you can't find a wife. Because I don't want you to marry one of these foreign women, which, by the way, is what Esau had done. A lot of, a lot of issues in this family. Okay? This is not like a model family by any means. Go find your Uncle Laban, hide out, and see if you can't find a wife. So Jacob takes off. Now, along the way, we're in Genesis 28 now. This is important. Along the way, Jacob has a dream. He's on his way to find Uncle Laban. He's on the run from his brother. He's afraid for his life. And he lays down, puts a rock under his head, and has a dream. He sees this vision of a ladder going all the way up to heaven. And on this ladder, angels are coming up and down. This is what we call Jacob's ladder. And he wakes up and he says, oh my God, God is in this. How awesome is this place? God is here. So he erects this altar and he prays. And this is what he prays. This is chap- the very end of chapter 28, verse 20, 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth back to you. Have you ever ever prayed this prayer? Come on, you've prayed this prayer. If you've ever prayed in your life, You've prayed this prayer. I know you have. And if you, if you haven't, you will. This is the prayer that, of a desperate man. He's running. He's fleeing home. He's left everything behind. He's got nothing except a brother who wants to kill him and a mom who just wants nothing other than to manipulate everyone. So he's on the run. And he has this, this moment where he cries out to God. And he says, God, I swear just keep me alive. I'm not asking for much. I just want bread and clothing. Just, I just want to live and hopefully someday I can come home and die. That's all I want. And if you do that for me, what does he say? I will build your house and I will tithe. I'll go to church every day for the rest of my life and I'll even tithe 10% of my income. Tell me you've never prayed that prayer. <laughs> or something like it. God, if you just, get, I'm not asking for a lot. Just get me out of this. Just a little food to eat, some clothing on my back, and I promise, I promise I will I'll build your church and I will tithe my income. This is literally what he's saying. I will, give ten, I will give you 10% of all that I've got. He makes the vow and then he journeys on. All right. Chapter 29. Um, he finally gets to where he's going. Um, I think it would, have, it would have taken him a while, maybe a couple years, in fact. Um, it's a bit, of, bit of a bit of land to cross. Anyways, as he's approaching a well, he noticed some shepherds, and eventually his wife-to-be appears on the scene. He sees Rachel, and he's like, she's beautiful. Like, I've got to meet her. I've got to meet this girl. And it turns out it's 
the daughter of his uncle. It's, it's, a, it's one of his kins, kinsmen. Now, back in the day, that's, that's typically what you were meant to do. If you're looking for a wife, you want to marry someone among your kinspeople. Different world, different time. But he finds her. He finds the one. He says, take me back. I want to meet your, your dad. So he meets Uncle Laban. He says, look, I'll work for you if you give me your daughter. This is how it worked, right? Seven years I'll work for you if you give me Rachel. That was her name. And he says, okay, fine, fair enough. Seven years he works. He's a shepherd for Uncle Laban. And it says that it was like seven years were like a couple of days because he was so in love with Rachel. So finally seven years are up. And he says, Uncle Laban, I, uh, I'd like my, my wife to be now, if you don't mind. He says, okay, fine. So they, you know, they, they prepare the ceremony. They have the party. They do all the, the ancient things that they do. And that night, um, instead of giving Jacob... Rachel, like he had promised, he sneaks in Rachel's older sister, Leah. Turns out, deception runs in the family. (laughs) Super messed up. And we're told that Leah, the older sister, who, who should have been the first to be given away in marriage, had soft eyes. Soft eyes, as opposed to hard eyes. I'm, the commentaries tell me that soft eyes is a reference to her appearance. It's basically like a nice way of saying like great personality, really pretty eyes, but her younger sister was beautiful in form and appearance is what the scriptures say. This is, this is messed up. This is what this is. Jacob ends up Getting with Leah, he wakes up the next morning. He's like, Laban, what have you done to me? And he says, look, don't worry about it. All right, work for me another seven years, and I'll give you Rachel. Fourteen years later, now he's married to both sisters. He has begun to amass his fortune. I mean, he's working his butt off. Twenty years go by. Okay, we're going we're gonna to fast forward a couple of decades now. Twenty years he's worked for Uncle Laban. He now has two wives and their female servants that, that kind of came with them. So technically he's got like four ladies in his life. Eleven children, ten sons, and a daughter named Dinah. And a massive flock. And Jacob, after his tenth son Joseph is born, tells Rachel, look, we got to go. Okay, it's time for us to get out of here. We have outgrown Uncle Laban's house it's time to go home. Um, and in fact, the scriptures tell us that uh, he even begins to hear rumors um, among some of Laban's people that look at Jacob's, he, he's basically taken everything from our master. Like, let's get him, right? So he's hearing the rumors and he, he tells his wife, like, look, we gotta, we gotta go home. So he begins the journey home. In fact, it says that he, uh, <laughs> despite Laban's best efforts to deceive of the deceiver, Jacob comes out on top. He gets everything. He gets the daughters. He gets the children. He gets the flock. And it says, without saying anything to his uncle, he leaves at night. Three days later, Laban notices and he catches up with Jacob. He's like, what, why, what are you doing to me? You take my daughters, you take my grandchildren, you take all of my flock, my land. I have nothing. And you leave without saying anything and Jacob's like, look, what do you expect? 
you, you, you've done me wrong so many times. Yeah, of course, I'm going to leave. So he leaves. A lot of detail. Another story. Which brings us up to, well, chapter 32, where we started. He's getting closer to confronting his older brother. He's getting closer to having to deal with his past. His dad's still alive, which is kind of, I mean, it's 20 years later. Apparently, Isaac still had a few good ones left in him. (laughs) Blind, feeble, but still ticking. Mom's still there. Everyone's still there. The whole gang is still there. Family is still intact. 20 years later, plus, probably longer, Jacob is now coming home. And the closer he gets, the more you can see the past catching up with him. Let me, let me highlight a few things for us here. Okay, what, what does he do as he's approaching? We're going to skim through chapter 32 a little bit. The first thing he does, chapter 32, verse 2, it says... As they approached, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, uh, the, the uh, country of Edom, where his brother was living, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my lord an order that I may find favor in your sight. This isn't bribery, because we'll get to that. (laughs) Jacob is attempting to win his brother's favor. Okay, this is how I interpret this. He's like, look at, go ahead of me and show him, show him what I'm made of. Like, I got oxen, I got camels, I got servants. I'm kind of a big deal. So if my brother knows that, Perhaps instead of wanting to kill me, he'll want to, like, win me over. Perhaps he'll favor me. He's trying to impress his way out of the situation. Okay, that's step one. The servants come back, and they said, we said everything you told us to say. We, 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 we showed Esau all that you've got, but he had 400 men with him who didn't seem particularly impressed. In other words, we did everything he told us to do. Um, we saw your brother, and he had an army with him. Okay, so what does Jacob do next? He does what any of us would do next. He prays. Verse 9, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kinsmen, that I may do good to you. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only a staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother. Okay, this is the prayer of a des- desperate man. Notice, though, Guys, it's all in the details. Notice that as Jacob's praying, he refers to God as the God of Abraham and my father Isaac. If we back up one chapter, we can read of a 
slightly bizarre interaction between Jacob and Laban. Remember I mentioned that Laban, after realizing that Jacob had like snuck away, caught up with him, they had this little, little moment. And that's when Jacob, he, he erected like an altar and said, Let, let's, let's make an agreement, uncle, you and I. Okay, let's not kill each other, but let's recognize that God has blessed me. And he refers to God twice in that little transaction, both times as the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac. He refers to God as the fear of his father, but never his God. And even now, in his moment of desperation, Jacob, he prays, but he refers to God as not his God, but the God of his grandfather and his father, Isaac. Something is beginning to unfold in the plot. What's he do next? He bribes. Um, if we get over to verse 20, 20, now Jacob says, moreover, uh, Sorry, verse, second half of verse 20. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Jacob, he decides instead of just simply trying to impress his brother, he says, look, give him gifts. And he sends like herds and like treasures. And he says, let's see if we can't pay him off. Perhaps we can appease Esau and afterwards, he will accept me. He is trying everything he can do to do what he's always done, and that is manipulate the situation. He tried to impress him. He even brought God into the picture. He's tried to bribe him, and what happens next? He panics. This brings us up to where we started. It says, in verse 22, the same night he rose and took his own wives, Rachel and Leah, and his two female servants and his 11 kids, his 10 boys and his daughter, and he sends them over. Why? God only knows. He's freaking out. Like nothing's work. He's just about to cross over and finally face his brother. And he's terrified. He sends his own wives, and he's already sent his servants. He sent everything he's got, and now he's left alone. And this is where Jacob encounters this man. This is where Jacob wrestles God. He's got nothing left. He spent all of his chips, and now he's alone to face God. This is the context. This is what the story is really about. This is not about some guy learning a lesson in humility or how to persist in prayer or overcoming your inner demons. This is the story. This is the story of humanity. This is the story of a person who did prove himself. Remember, he left with nothing but a staff. A staff 
and just a little bit of determination to prove, like I'm, I'm not that guy, heel grabber, deceiver, I'll, I'll show him. I'll, I'll prove to my brother, my mom, I'll prove to my dad that I am the blessed one. I am the chosen child. And he does it. it takes him 20 years. And he amasses a fortune. He gets the kids. He gets, he gets the girl. It takes him 14 years, but he gets her. He gets the herds. He, gets the, he, he builds he achieves his dream. He's the man. He got the blessing. And now as he gets closer and closer and closer, facing his past, facing where he's come from, who he really is and what he's done, it's like he's systematically broken down. He tries as he, as he gets closer and closer to his past to face his brother who wants to kill him. He knows what he's done. He knows what he has, that he... He knows what he has coming to him, and he tries everything he can to manipulate the situation like he's always done. And now he's got nothing. He's standing alone, and all he's got is himself, his heart, and now this, this man, this mysterious person whom we, as the readers, find out God. Have you ever found yourself there? Now, I know you might be thinking, well, come on. You're being a little melodramatic. It is melodramatic. This, this is what it means to follow God. That vow Jacob made, mm, that was real. This is a story about a man coming to the very end of himself, realizing that no matter how much he had achieved, no matter how much, how smart he thought he was, how strong, how clever, how determined, this is a man who is finally coming face to face with himself. And who does he find there? His God. The God that he had always heard about. The God that Grandpa Abe had always talked about. The fear of Isaac. You can only imagine. You must have heard that one story about when God told Grandpa Abraham to murder his son Isaac. And of course, God stayed his hand at the last moment because we know what that story is really about. So he's the fear of Isaac. He's the God that I've been hearing about my whole life, that I even try to incorporate into my program. Because I want to be the blessed son. I want to be the one to achieve my dreams. I want to be able to know that I count. Guys, this is, this is what we're all, and I am being melodramatic for a reason, because this is humanity. This is our lives. This is what we all want to feel like my life counts. I've done something. I'm the man. I'm the man. I've achieved. I've proven to myself and to the world that I've got what it takes. Can you imagine the daddy issues he must have been working through on that journey home? His dad didn't like him. 
He preferred Big Brother, Hunter, Harry, Red, Edom. And he's coming back. Like, I've got all this, Dad. I've done it. See, I am the blessed one. See? What do you got now, Jacob? What do you got now? What are you trying to prove? And to whom exactly? That's what's going on. He finds himself alone with God. It's funny, even, even then, he refuses to relent. Have you ever had your, your hip dislocated? Have you? I have not. I heard it feels great. <laughs> have you ever been in a proper wrestling match? Anyone, anyone wrestle? Yeah, back in the day? Seventh grade. Divisadero, I think we were like the Spartans. I wrestled in the seventh grade. One of the worst years of my life. I hated it. I hated it. Why I signed up, I was probably having one of those moments of like severe insecurity and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll prove my, my worth by going out for the wrestling team. So I did it. I didn't go out for the wrestling team. I showed up like the rest of the kids. And then, I, of course, I wanted to quit after the first week and my mama wouldn't let me. God bless her. She would not let me quit the wrestling team. She said, no, you signed up. You finished the year. Undefeated season. Personal. Undefeated record. Wait. <laughs> Guess how many times I wrestled? Once. <laughs> Once. So if you've never wrestled in middle school, this is how it works. So match day, the, the, the other school shows up. Now imagine, little 11-year-old Simon I'm envisioning like Goliaths. I mean, we're talking the Nephilim have returned and they've descended on my middle school for me to engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat with. And I'm terrified. So all the other little boys are running around the locker room wearing trash bags because you're supposed to try to sweat off your weight so you can weigh in and, and actually wrestle. I'm like stuffing my face with ding-dongs and ho-hos. I'm just like, oh, please no. Like, <laughs> and sure enough, I made it through the whole season only having to wrestle once. So lame. <laughs> but I won. I won. Just out of sheer terror. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the point. If you've never actually been in a proper wrestling match, it's exhausting. I mean, you get like the adrenaline edge for about five minutes, and then after that, like you're done. You're done. Jacob wrestled all night. The man said, okay, fine. The sun's coming up. Jacob, time to let go. Time to stop. You're not going to win this one. Let go. Jacob says, no way. Uh-uh. Never. Not until you bless me. Very well. It says God touches his hip sock, puts his hip out of joint. He still doesn't give up. He says, look, stop. 
relent. Jacob says, no, I refuse until you bless me. And what what does the man say? Fine. What's your name? Hmm. Who are you? Who are you? Not who are you trying to be? I don't care about what you've done, how much you've achieved, how many times you've managed to finagle your way out of some impossible situation. Who are you? And he says, he makes him say his name. I'm Jacob. Jacob. I'm that guy. Nothing else. And what does God do after that? He says, you want, you want to be blessed? You want my blessing very well. Today, you become Israel. Because you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. I'm still not quite sure what to make of that. What I do know is that Jacob, he received a new identity that day. What the story is about is a guy who was brought to the end of himself only to find that his problem was never his brother. You know what happens? If we continue reading, he meets his brother. And it says that the two men embraced one another and they cried on each other's necks. Apparently Esau had forgiven Jacob a long time ago. Whatever it is you're wrestling, here's the allegory, okay? Here's the meaning for us. Whatever it is you're wrestling with in your life, whoever you think your problem is, it's not your problem. Your past is not your problem. (laughs) Your brother who wants to kill you is not your problem. I spoke with my brother yesterday. Um, a couple years ago, I, I think my, my brother actually did want to kill me. We had a major falling out. For real. My baby brother. As I was preparing this sermon, I was like, oh gosh, I have to call my brother. <laughs> yeah, my brother's not my problem. My dad's not my problem. Your problem is not something or someone or some time, something you've got, something you don't got, some great thing that you're hoping to become, hoping that maybe then you can prove to yourself in the world that you are that son the blessed one. No, it's something in here 
this is what God does with us, guys. And I'll close here because I've, I've belabored, belabored this long enough. Um, God wants to meet you. He wants to wrestle you. He wants to just strip away everything and get you in that place. Dan, if you want to come up, he wants to get you in that place where you have nothing else to point the finger at, no one else to blame, no past experience to complain about, and says, I want that. I want this right here. Your enemy is inside here, and I want to change your heart. I want to make you into a new person, as this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus died. You know, the cool thing about the gospel is that although Isaac walked away with a limp, rather Jacob, although Jacob walked away with a limp, the gospel is that Jesus takes the hit for us. The scriptures say that Christ was wounded for our transgressions. God has always been in the business of transforming people, for making us into children of God. Not by just patching up the outside, not just by dealing with peripheral issues, maybe some really, really big issues, but God specializes in addressing our inner being, our hearts. Because look, at whatever it is you're struggling with, Whatever, whatever it is you're trying to prove or whoever you're trying to impress in your life, I'll tell you why you're doing it. It has nothing to do with them. You feel dishonored, you feel disrespected, you feel unloved, you feel rejected, and you want to point the, the, the finger at all of these enemies out there, your boss, your, your spouse, that, that person who done you wrong. And you say, it's them, it's their fault. No, it's not. They're living their life. They've moved on. They're probably forgiving you. God only knows. God specializes in wrestling us down, stripping everything away. And he said, now, who are you? What's your name? I'm Jacob. I'm that insecure kid who's been fighting my way up my whole life. No, you're not. Today, you're Israel. And I feel like prophetically, can we stand together, please? For some of you, you're going to find yourself in a wrestling match. You're going to find yourself in a position where it's as if everything has been stripped away. And what God is doing in that moment is getting you in a position to where you are forced to acknowledge that your problem is not out there. It's right here, right on the inside. And if we'll turn to him, if we will relent, if we'll say, fine, I give up. Who do you say that I am? And allow Jesus to redefine you. As we sing this last song, um, guys, take a moment to just reflect. I realize for some of you, you're like, wow, that was, that was a little emotional. I have no idea what to do with that. My life's actually pretty decent at the moment. Praise the Lord. Super happy for you. Sincerely, sincerely, that's great. You might need to help someone else. Or you might need to tuck it away. So for like in a couple years, when something is seriously hard in your life, you can remember, ah, Okay, God, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't want to limp away with a dislocated hip. 
I want to surrender to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being so faithful to pursue us, to bear with us, to even wrestle with us in the, the ups and the downs and the great journey of our lives. Lord, I pray that as we process through what you're doing in our own hearts, Lord, that you would cause us to be, to be soft. Lord, that we would be quick to surrender our lives to you. Lord, and instead of giving in to the temptation to somehow simply control every difficult thing in our lives, help us to trust you. that we would know what it actually feels like to be your sons and your daughters, to be your children, to be blessed by you.